0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder, and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. We have a special episode of the podcast today, and uh, joining me on this episode is our new managing editor, uh, Joe Stang. Welcome to the podcast. Joe Stang. Thank
1: you. It's my first ever craft beer and brewing podcast.
0: And welcome to craft beer and brewing as well. Joe's been a long time contributor to the magazine. In fact, has uh, features, has had features in the magazine, going back to our very first issue when uh, you wrote about Saison, you're doing it wrong, or Belgian, <laughs> Belgian beer, you're doing it wrong. Um, and he's written a number of uh, fantastic features for the magazine. Now he is uh, back in the United States after a few years uh, overseas in, uh, in Europe. And uh, you know he's written a few books like, uh, what, Around Belgium and 80 Beers with... Uh, Evander Betts and uh good beer guy Belgium yep
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah cool and his former uh, contributing editor of draft magazine so this is a, like I said the special episode of the uh, of the podcast we're going to talk about our annual best in beer uh we have a few facets to this which I'll explain in a few minutes uh, but first as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling g chillers has set the standard on quality service reliability and dedication to their customers craft Thinking outside of the box, whether it's a simple relocation of the utility connections for a complex buildup or ground level design and engineering, G&D is ready to meet the challenge. Contact G&D Chillers today at 1-800-555-0973 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. Mention this podcast and receive up to $1,000 worth of glycol with the purchase of any new G&D chiller. Also, Tavor makes it possible to access and discover the highest-rated craft beers from all over the world through the free mobile app. Twice a day, you get access to new limited beer from an independent craft brewer. Imagine sipping a vanilla ice cream stout from Wild Leap Brewing in Georgia or Juicy Bits IPA from Weldworks in Colorado. Join the independent beer community today and get $10 in beer money with code BREWING. So the basic format for our annual uh, Best in Beer issue uh, is multifaceted. Uh, you know, we find when we are trying to define something as uh, broad a concept as best, that the uh, the finest way to do that and the most accurate way to do that is to do it in a lot of different ways. And so the ways, uh, you know, there's no single method that's going to give you, uh, you know, a, a, a complete picture of uh, how these things happen. And so we do it in a couple facets. Number one, we do a reader survey and we uh, survey, uh, we have an email list with, you know, seven over seven thousand, uh, uh, members on the email list. We send it out to that list, say, Hey, you know, fill out this web survey and it takes some time. And, uh, you know, people uh, put a lot of thought into this. Uh, one of the methods that we use when we have people fill out this reader survey, especially when it comes to filling out things you know, from categories like beers of the year is that we do not do multiple choice. You know, we ask everybody to type out a name because if we put multiple choice in there, we're basically putting our thumb on the scale and telling people what they should easily vote for rather than clicking on an other category and entering something that way. You know, this is the only way to do it, I think, in a a kind of fair method that's going to give us uh, real answers, creates a whole lot of work on our part to go through, clean up that data and really understand what people kind of are trying to say with some of these answers that they type out. But that's the reader portion, reader survey portion of it. We will uh, work through and talk about some of those reader survey results through this podcast. The next portion of it is uh, our critics lists. Uh, We ask some pretty smart beer people out there in the world to beer like, uh, Kate Bernat and, uh, Stan Hieronymus and, uh, our fan favorite, uh, Alex kid of don't drink beer, who is always hilarious and entertaining, uh, and for their favorite picks, you know, the, the breweries and the beers and the trends that have stuck out to them. Uh, we're not going to go through that on this podcast. You'll have to pick up the magazine and buy that or better subscribe to the magazine. You because know, you should be asking yourself right now, why do I not subscribe to the magazine? If you do subscribe to the magazine, then you got an email today, November 1st, the date this podcast is dropping with a link to download this issue uh, and a best of uh, beer issue. Uh, or you also were able to access it early this morning in the app our mobile apps on Android and uh, iOS because subscribers get first access to this. That's just how it works. If you don't subscribe, go to the website, beerandbrewing.com. And hit the subscribe button. Subscribe right now. We'll get you set up immediately so you can access all of this uh, Best in Beer content and see the full uh, breadth of what we are talking about on the podcast podcast today after the critics lists uh, we have uh, what we uh, consider the piece de resistance of the best in beer issue that's only the first of many bad French
1: pronunciations coming up today I can sense it there are more uh,
0: you know each year uh, we the editorial team of craft beer and brewing as well as in conjunction and with feedback from our critics and from our blind tasting panel uh, we take a look at all the beers that we've reviewed across the year the beers we've tasted in places where we haven't had a chance to do full reviews of them and we try to to um, find those beers that sum up what this year in beer is, you know, and that can be those top scores, those beers that are classic that still blew us away. They can be fresh faces that, uh, you know, have just, you know, shot out of nowhere um, and completely floored us. There's a whole bunch of different criteria that we can we use when we uh, develop this editor's uh, picks for the best 19 beers of 2019. Uh, we're going to do that last on the podcast and just make you wait because we're cruel like that. But let's get started in talking about you know our best uh, categories and we're gonna get started i think first by talking about our reader's choice best beers of 2019
1: i mean this is arguably the biggest list i mean this is the most democratic one this isn't uh, uh, us elitists from on high saying hey we think these beers are great this is the people who read the magazine saying what they what are their favorite beers and you add up thousands of that and it gets to be
0: really interesting so we allow every uh, every uh, person filling out the survey to list up to five beers in this category, and I think you know that's an interesting dynamic because this is not a list where people get one answer and it's there; it's only one beer. You know, you uh, and and I think we see some of the dynamics from that in the list and then some of those standbys that people might have as their third or fourth or fifth favorite beer that are just the things they always love to go to, they end up rating really high on this list, you know. And so uh so why don't we start at number 50 and that's uh, left hand nitro milk stout number 49 founders backwoods bastard number 48 firestone walker union jack IPA which got a great brand refresh this year uh 47 is Vine Stefaner uh Hefeweiss beer 46 Old Nation Noodle List with M43 IPA, number 45, an old favorite Odell IPA. 44 Dogfish Head 120 Minute IPA, number 43 Sierra Nevada Torpedo, 42 another one from Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest, and 41 is Pilsner Urkel Pilsner. Yeah, the Pilsner. The Pilsner. The only Pilsner really. Really? The only one? It's from Pilsen. Yeah. It's, that's the Pilsner. Is, is, that, is that what makes something a Pilsner? It has to be from Pilsen
1: i'm not gonna win that battle <laughs> i'm not gonna say that i will say we look in the czech republic and if you make a pale lager outside of
0: Pilsen, they don't call it pilsner what do they call it Sveliležak. pale lager all right okay um so at 40 new belgium voodoo ranger 39 dogfish head sea quench 38 to shoots fresh squeezed 37, New Belgium, Fat Tire, Amber, an old-school classic. 36, Great Lakes, Edmund Fitzgerald, Porter. Uh, 35, Bear Republic Racer, 5 IPA. 34, The Alchemist, Focal Banger. Number 33, Stone IPA. Number 32, Lawson's Find a Sip of Sunshine. 31 is Firestone Walker, Peebo Pills. Yeah. Is that one a Pilsner, Joe? It's a Pilsner. I'm not, not going to get into that, man. That's a great beer. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I drink a fair amount of that one. Number 30, uh, Youngling Lager. Uh, number 29, Founders Canadian Breakfast Stout. Uh, everyone loves that maple syrup. Number 28, Russian River Blind Pig. Another one. Uh, 27, Dogfish Head 90 Minute IPA. Number 26, New Holland Dragons Milk. Number 25, Deschutes Blackview Porter. 24, Ballast Point Sculpin IPA. That one's kind of tumbled down from a number 12 spot last year. Uh, 23, Toppling Goliath King Sue, new to the list. That's a pretty high debut for yeah, them. Yeah, jumping into 23 for sure. That's that's some serious stuff from Toppling Goliath. Number 22, Boulevard uh, uh, Tank 7 Farmhouse Ale. Uh, another uh, fantastic classic beer. 21, Treehouse Julius IPA. Uh, number 20,
1: Orval. Yeah, yeah. And jumping from 40 to 20, it looks like, I, I think yeah, it really did. It, and seeing, seeing beers like Orval pop in here is so cool. And, and also down below, we, we mentioned of ice beer, because I think when a lot of people are filling out this list, they're not necessarily thinking of foreign beers. I think a lot of times they're thinking of American craft beers. They're getting this email from an American craft beer magazine. And so a lot of these probably are not top of mind for people. But when they're asked to put in their top five, they're like, oh, yeah, Weinstefaner Hefefeisbier. Yeah. Somebody, you know, people did that. And Orval is enough. Enough people said that, that it's in there in top 20. For sure.
0: For sure. You know, if you ever want to uh, go through some excruciating pain, I suggest correcting everyone's different spellings of (laughs) Weinstefaner. Thank you, Jamie, for, <laughs> for doing that for us, for yes, everyone. Yes, little known fact. I spent four straight days cleaning up this data uh, and using uh, what I uh, you know know about beer and these breweries uh, just to make sure that when we sort and, again, kind of correct, that we could actually count these things accurately. Uh, it's insane. Three Floyds is number 19 with Zombie Dust Pale Ale. Number 18, Weldworks Juicy Bits IPA. Uh, number 17, The Alchemist Heady Topper IPA. Uh, number 16, North Coast Old Rasputin. You know, one of those beers that I was drinking back in the mid to late 90s, uh, back in some of those early days of craft beer. And uh, it's still fantastic to see it getting some credit up here.
1: And it's available, you know? I mean, it's like sure, it's one of the sure. yeah. Uh,
0: number 15, Sierra Nevada Celebration. Number 14, Cigar City Highlight IPA. Number 13, Toppling Goliath Pseudo Sioux. Number 12, Sam Adams Boston Lager. Gosh, talk about a classic. I think it's so cool that that's on there. I mean, I, I. I
1: it, f- there's a lot of people. Who, I mean, the people who get this magazine are not. They're, they're savvy beer people, and in their top five, they're like, oh yeah, Sam Boston Lager. And I mean, if
0: it's a beer you drink a lot of, it's hey, a, it's a
1: beer that obviously a lot of geeks take it for granted, and it's the airport beer par excellence. You know, at the at the for airport sure. bar. Um, but for that again, to like pop into people's mind is like, oh yeah, that's one of my top five.
0: The next one's another one, similar kind of boat, uh, Guinness yep. at number 11 with Guinness, uh, extra stout. Another classic, classic, uh, you know, in the world of beer. Yep. Number 10 founders all day IPA and number nine founders breakfast stout back to back nine and 10 from founders in two different styles of beer. Uh, calling them a powerhouse, I think, would be uh, underestimating it because that's not the last founders that we're going to hear on this list. Uh, Allagash before that with Allagash White. Wow, there's a classic high up there. Um, Goose Island, Bourbon County Stout at number seven. Number six, Brasserie DuPont, Saison DuPont. That is a really high placing. It is. For Saison DuPont. Number yeah. six overall.
1: I, I think it's, and that's another, where, where, where was that last Up from year? number 18. Okay, so that's another one. Like, Saison DuPont is top of mind for a lot of, and actually I'm surprised it's so much higher than Orval. For the people who are going to name a Belgian beer, more people said Saison DuPont than said Orval. And I think that's really interesting that that has become such a, it is kind of a, for a lot of people, you ask them their favorite beer, that'd be a default beer. Oh, C'est sure. Dupont. Yeah. And, um, I think that's interesting that it's, I mean, 30 years on from when Michael Jackson wrote about it and Americans first learned about it, it is still growing in people's minds, this, this, uh, beer. Well, it's, it's become a
0: paragon, it's become a model. You know, you think about everybody who brews Saison in the United States, the very first question you ask is what yeast are you using? And I guess I will get you know guarantee you that at least eighty to ninety percent of the answers to that question are you know DuPont yeast. It's the archetype. Right. Yep. Right. It is the model that all follow. And you know, what we found more often than not is those models tend to still be you know remain people's favorite beers. When they make beers that are similar to that and then taste their own beers, they are still drinking these things that inspire them and can you know in some ways develop an even deeper appreciation for the quality of those beers that are inspiring them uh, number five founders uh, Kentucky breakfast stout so that's not just that's four four or five founders on the list and three
1: of the top ten are founders beers
0: yes they are that's pretty impressive I, yeah uh, number four. Uh, this one shot way, way, way up the list. It was a 34 last year and actually I think debuted on the list last year because it's a pretty new beer Sierra Nevada hazy little thing.
1: Obviously with these top beers that are in, these are the ones that are people's minds. They have to be what almost have to be widely available to be able to, sure, you know, be the sure. sort of people's regular go-to beers. But for that, in just a couple of years that ha I mean, it's, you know, we know it's a great beer. But it means to be able to do that, it really has to be a great beer. I that think.
0: means it has to be a great beer. And that means they have to be able to get lots of it out there in a lot of places to yeah. a lot of people and build a brand familiarity around it, which you know Sierra Nevada does because they have such a uh, consistent reputation for quality across all the styles that they brew. Number three, I feel like we need like a drum roll right here, but that uh, that is a perennial favorite at the top of all top lists: Russian River, Pliny the Elder, Imperial IPA. Number two is another one from Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada with two in the top five. Uh, that's Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Not a huge surprise that it's up there. It tends to go neck and neck with the number one beer, which I'm sure everyone out there can figure out right now. Uh, and that is Bell's Brewery Two-Hearted IPA. Uh, Bells and Two-Hearted have just kind of owned the top of, of a lot of these lists uh, from us from other magazines like Zymergy uh, for the last few years um, there's a deep-seated love for this beer it's a great beer and there's just something about that trout you know what I
1: mean like I, see, you see that trout and it's like oh there he is I gotta get some of that uh, and, and sure and <laughs> number number one and two switched right I mean they was they, they Pale Ale was did. top last year yeah, and it was
0: top last year and uh, Two-Hearted has taken back the crown Two-Hearted unseated it yeah yeah, yeah. Let's pivot next, and we can talk about uh, your favorite breweries by size, and we can start with the very large breweries, because there aren't that many of them. These are breweries over 500,000 barrels a year, and then number five was Lagunitas Heineken, number four, Boston Beer Company, number three, New Belgium Brewing, Uh, number two, Founders, again, no surprise, number one, uh, Sierra Nevada Brewing. Uh, congratulations to all of them. There will be a nice trophy going out to Sierra Nevada for that. And there will also be a trophy, of course, going out to Bells for their two-hearted. I should have mentioned that before. We have beautiful little trophies for all the winners that uh, are also tap handles that they can, you know, throw on a, a tap in a tap room. That's why they do this for the trophies. You know, brewers love medals, Joe. Mm-hmm. Love medals. On the large breweries category, number five. This is these are breweries from one hundred thousand barrels to five hundred thousand barrels a year. Uh, Deschutes at number five from Bend, Oregon. Dogfish Head number four. Number three Stone Brewing out of Escondido, California. Number two Firestone Walker, and number one Bell's Brewery. Uh, I suspect that Bell's will not be number one in this category for very for large breweries next year. And that is because as I was checking this data for the list, they are about 15,000 barrels away from the next higher category. So they are about to surpass the uh, 500,000 barrel a year mark. And I imagine by next year they they will have done that. Bells you know? will become a very large brewery. Bells will move up a category and they're, they'll be you know, hidden in a heavier weight class then. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that plays out for them. Mid-sized breweries. These are 15,000 to 100,000 barrels per year. Number five is Three Floyds out of Munster, Indiana. Number four, Trillium Brewing out of Canton, Massachusetts, and Boston and Four Point. Uh, Allagash Brewing is number three from Portland, Maine. Number two, Treehouse Brewing in uh, Charlton, Massachusetts, uh, continuing their meteoric rise over the last few years. That brewery is, I think, I believe, at last check, Brewing over 50,000 barrels a year and selling every bit of it out of their brewery. Uh, absolutely a force of nature. And uh, number one in the midsize brewery category, 15,000 to 100,000 barrels per year, Russian River Brewing out of Santa Rosa in Windsor, California. In the small breweries category, and again, we are just reading the top five of these categories. If you uh, read uh, the issue of the magazine, uh, we actually track these about 20 deep in each of these categories. But, uh, you know, we have to give you some incentive to, to go read the magazine. And so go do that or subscribe today at beerandbrewing.com. Number five on the small breweries list. Uh, Kind of surprises me that a brewery this small has been able to kind of make it this high on a list, but it's Hot Butcher from the World from Chicago, Illinois. One of the best brewery names in the country. Yeah?
1: Yeah, that's a great name, Hot Butcher for the World. That's just a cool name. Well, apparently... I'm not saying that's why they're in the top five here. Okay. I'm just saying it is certainly a top five brewery name.
0: (laughs) I I don't disagree with you. And apparently they're making beer at, uh, you know, Chicago is a pretty uh, large metro area. And uh, they've made a lot of favorite lists from people, certainly in their area, who have uh, been voting hard for them. So now they are number five and number four out of Brooklyn, New York, another large metropolitan area, uh, other half brewing. You can see there's a, a hazy IPA uh, uh, thing running through, uh, you know, some of this uh, top list. Although I say that, and now at number three, uh, we go a completely different direction with Jester King Brewery out of Austin, Texas. Number two, speaking of hazy IPAs, Weldworks Brewing out of Greeley, Colorado, another brewery that's been growing crazy fast. And the number one uh, for, again, for yet another year in a row, uh, that's Hill Farmstead up in Greensboro Bend, Vermont. No no surprise there. No surprise there. I uh, certainly won't argue with that. Uh, Certainly one of my favorite breweries in the entire world. Uh, Before we talk about the next category, I just want to uh, share that Hopsteiner is a vertically integrated global hops supplier dedicated to delivering the finest hops and hops products available. For six generations, Hopsteiner has partnered with breweries of all sizes, offering unique hop varieties and innovative hop products designed to enhance flavor, aroma, consistency, and flexibility for brewing and beyond. Learn more at hopsteiner.com. Also, balancing barley and hops is your expertise, and for Clarion Lubricants, food-grade lubricants is theirs. The team at Clarion knows that when it comes to making great beer, you're the expert, and when it comes to supplying food-grade lubricants, backed by service-oriented professionals, they're the experts. Clarion will work with you to create an efficient lubrication program that helps protect your brewery. To speak with an expert, dial 1-855-MY-CLARION, that's 855-692-5274, or visit clarionlubricants.com. Clarion on lubricants the expert that experts trust let's move into who brews it best this category we set up in order to uh, celebrate and identify those breweries who may not make it into a kind of less specific lists Uh, this one is you know we ask based on the type of beer that uh, a brewery brews. And so we ask who your favorite American IPA brewer is, who your favorite hazy IPA brewer is, who your favorite sour wild ale brewer is, et cetera, et cetera. Let's go through some of the categories. And, uh, you know, I think we can start right down there with your favorite lager brewery. Uh, Joe, you want to share uh, favorite lager breweries with the people?
1: Yeah, sure. And number five would be Yangling, naturally. Number four, Firestone Walker. I do like that Firestone Lager. Number three, Beerstadt Lagerhaus in Denver. Number two, Jack's Abbey. And number one, Samuel Adams, Boston Beer Company.
0: That's that's interesting that a brewery like Beerstad Lagerhaus could end up in the top five with four other breweries that massively package and distribute. For sure, and they do not.
1: That's it's inter- That's how top of yeah. It's it's like they they're in people's minds somehow. And I, they, people talk about them, and it's at slow
0: Poor pills. I think, thing. it also, I think we you know we do have a an interesting uh, selection of brewers themselves who have filled out this <laughs> That's <your> survey. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, who,
1: who come to Denver at least once a year yes, and have to go pay their respects right, to the right. slow Poor
0: pills. It's true. Yeah. So, so I think there's there's definitely some of that uh, uh, for favorite pale ale brewers. Number five, Hill Farmstead. Number four, Toppling Goliath, of course, pushing that pseudo sue. Number three, Oscar Blues, and I imagine that's on the back of Dale's Pale Ale. Number two, Three Floyds, makers of Zombie Dust, and number one, Sierra Nevada, of course, with their iconic it's Pale where, Ale. It's where they belong. And I should also mention that you know all the winners of these categories, or all the number one uh, winners of each of these categories, will also get some special trophies for that. Uh, Why don't you talk about stout, uh, favorite stout and porter brewers?
1: All right, here we go. Top five favorite stouter. Your top five (laughs) favorite stout and porter brewers. Number five, Goose Island. Number four, Bells. Number three, Left
0: Hand. Two, Guinness. Have you heard of them? I think so. And number 1 founders. Not a shocker. Back in the number 1 spot again. Guinness in the number 2 spot again. Left hand again in number 3. Not a lot of movement in there in the top 3 and of course, you know, well-deserved positions from brewers that all make uh, fantastic beers in those styles favorite sour or wild ale brewer at number five uh, new to the top five side project brewing out of st louis missouri they were number 10 last year and now they are number five we're actually in st louis right now recording this we've been out here all week uh, filming online education for our learning platform at learn.beerandbrewing.com a place where home brewers and people that love to brew beer can learn from professional brewers and uh, other uh, instructors on uh, the art and craft of brewing. Uh, we filmed some fantastic classes. And in fact, we are filming a class with side project in here in St. Louis Very, you know, tomorrow should be fun. Anyway, uh, that's an aside. Number four, Jolly Pumpkin, a major inspiration for a lot of the other brewer, American brewers on this list. Number three, the uh, Brussels classic Cantillon, Brasserie Cantillon. Uh, number two, Crooked Stave out of Denver, Colorado. And number one, moving up from the number two spot last year, jester king brewery out of austin texas
1: i think it's it's interesting again to me uh you know i'm a belgian beer guy so but where do the belgian beers appear and how much does that have to do with people not even realizing they could name a belgian brewery you know if we're talking about top wild sour or maybe and also cantillons
0: is hard to come by and probably a lot of people I mean, Cantillon even... was number one last year. They're still in the top three. Okay, it's not a bad position for them, Joe. I'm not complaining. I'm, <laughs> I'm more of a Dry
1: guy down here, number thirteen. So you know
0: that that one, I think we will see it climb because uh, uh, you know the brewery has been uh, ramping up production and uh, they are getting more beer out of the United States. And more people are able to taste and understand why we put uh, uh, Three Fontaine and our uh, Cuvée Armand Gaston in our beers of the year last year, mm-hmm. because it is literally one of the best beers I've ever tasted ever in the history of beer. It's terrific. Yes, yeah. it is. And it, it, it will take a few years, but I think that will happen. Yeah, I think it will. I, I, I can watch them climbing up next year. Let's move in, uh, and talk a little bit about favorite Abbey style brewer.
1: Number five out of Fort Collins, Colorado, New Belgium. Number four. Chimay, naturally. I mean, it's a Trappist brewery. It's so, therefore, Abbey style. Sure. Number three, Allagash. Number two, West Vladeren. And number one, Omagong. There you go. Uh, have enough people had a West Vladeren that, that, that it's up there for them?
0: Apparently, enough have to, to move it into number two. That's weird. Uh, that was another one when uh, which you'd be uh, thrilled to watch. How many different ways people spell. That brewery name
1: <laughs> i mean that's got to be better than how many different ways they say it so that's true that's true i'm I'm trying to listen to you and copy you
0: uh, with your pronunciation All. <laughs> oh, uh. i'm not sure i would do that <laughs> to be honest uh a slight twist on that yeah uh, the next category is favorite saison brewer number five uh Omegang. back on the list here too number four allagash number three boulevard of course on the strength of tank seven number two hill farmstead and number one should be no surprise to anybody. Saison, uh, Brasserie DuPont. And uh, I'm sure that is for their Saison DuPont or and also their Avec Le Bon Veux. Mm-hmm. Uh Let's talk about favorite. Oh, should we do American IPA brewer next? Which one is the, the, the top category here? Is it American IPA or is it Hazy IPA?
1: I mean, let's go with the Zeitgeist and let's save the Hazy IPA for last, right?
0: That's, I guess we can do that. All sure.
1: Right, here we go. Number five for favorite American IPA brewer, be Firestone Walker. Number four, Sierra Nevada. Number three, Bell's Brewery. Two would be Stone, and number one, Russian River. And
0: here we have we have un, Russian River has unseated Stone from the number one spot here. They have, they have. If you're listening in and kind of counting in your head, you know there's a few medals here uh, for a couple of breweries like Founders and Sierra Nevada, and uh, you know I think is that uh, I think that's number two now for Russian River. Uh, Let's shift favorite hazy IPA brewer, the top cat. Well, I shouldn't call it the top. Uh, It's the most hyped category (laughs) by far, uh, you know, in craft beer right now. Uh, The number five spot for your favorite hazy IPA brewer is Weldworks Brewing. Number four, The Alchemist. Number three, Trillium Brewing out of Boston, Massachusetts and others. Uh, Number two, Sierra Nevada. In the number two spot, again all on the strength of that hazy little all thing. On the strength of the hazy little thing, and in the number one spot, Treehouse Brewing out of uh, out of Massachusetts, uh, in the number one spot once again. A little quick hit for the next category. That is a question that we pose to our readers: Where do you most often buy your favorite craft beer? We won't talk about the entire thing, but I just want to talk about the the top uh, you know entry in this list, and that is brewery. If we look at where people bought and you know craft beer, even two years ago in 2017, um, a whole lot more people bought beer at a liquor store or especially beer store. Even more people bought beer at grocery stores. but Now over the last 2 years since we asked you know this question in 2017 2018 and 19 um, people who buy beer their favorite craft beers at a brewery has increased by 10 Points on that scale. Uh, You know, it's not understating it to say we're watching a major shift in the way that consumers even think about buying beer and are focusing on buying beer directly from breweries. You know, whether that's to get the freshest experience, to get beers that they can't get out in other retail channels, whether it's to get specialty releases that are only sold at the brewery. Uh, You know, I think it's a whole multitude of those kinds of reasons or to make sure that they're getting the freshest beer um, that's in date code and that's been kept, you know, cold stored. You know, especially with styles like Azipa, IPA that tend to not do so well when they're not cold stored. Uh, for all of those kinds of reasons, I think a lot of these purchases are now shifting back and people are starting to be trained to purchase those beers directly from breweries. I have to say,
1: anecdotally to me, I'm 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 actually probably that ten percent myself. Do going to the go into a tap room, you have a beer or two, I'm probably driving anyway and I gotta stop there, but they have all these now instead of far far superior to growlers you have these 12 16 ounce cans you can walk away with take them home have them later anytime and uh, i mean i'm definitely buying a lot more beer from breweries directly than i used to
0: we're gonna talk a little bit about homebrewing next in the next two categories the next two categories are uh uh, both homebrew focused first is homebrew brand of the year and we'll talk about the top 10 in this category since it'll be fairly quick and number 10 spot uh braumeister and Spiedel. At the number nine spot, Bayou. At number eight spot, Tilt. Number seven spot, Grainfather. Number six spot, Anvil, a brand owned by Blickman. Uh, number five is More Beer. Number four, Inkbird. Everyone loves those temperature controls, I guess. And number three, Spike Brewing. Uh, the top three uh, brands here are all makers of stainless steel for home brewers. So number three is Spike. Number two, a name that everyone's familiar with, Blickman Engineering. And at the number one spot, SS Brewtech out of Southern California. Uh, congratulations to the homebrew brands of the year. And now we'll move to top homebrew gear of the year. This is uh, specific homebrew products, not brands. And the number 10 spot is the SS Brewtech Kettle. Number nine spot, Robo Brew. Number eight, the Tilt Hydrometer Number seven, SS Brewtech's Infusion Mash Ton. Number six, the Spike Brewing Kettle. Number five, Spike Brewing's Conical Unitank. Number four, the SS Brewtech Unitank. Number three, SS Brewtech Chronicle Fermenter. Number two, SS Brewtech Brew Bucket. And at the number one spot, the Grainfather Connect. Why don't you jump into some of the highlights from your own personal critics list this year?
1: I'm not going to get into all of it, you know, but get the magazine. You can read all of our uh, extremely valuable and worthy opinions. Uh, But just to hit a few highlights, a thing today's brewers ought to pay more attention to, foam stability. I see so many beers that are badly poured and when they're even when they're poured correctly you see that foam disappear i just want to see some foam man i want to see it stay there it's beautiful i will take pictures of it i will send those pictures to everyone who you know that's i think why are we seeing pictures of cans on social media and not beautiful glasses of beer but
0: joe that foam it means that breweries are shorting their customers on beer volume the foam means that you have a brewer who knows how to brew and
1: somebody who knows how to pour and it adds pleasure to the experience. If you need room for the foam, get a bigger glass. To me, it's that simple. But a beer I want to mention um is from Brasserie de la Senne in Brussels. There is a bit of a European bias in my picks. I mean, I oh, have sure. I, I've been living there for But that's why s- we let
0: year. That's why we let you do this. <laughs> okay. Well, no, the entire point of these critics lists is not to all have the same list. You know, we try to spread it out geographically. We uh, try to spread it out a little bit gender and age-wise. We, you know, we try to kind of cross the map. And so, you know, we've got uh, Alex down in Southern California. We have Kate, who's up in Montana. We have Stan who's down in Atlanta. We have you talking, you know, from uh, with this kind of European perspective, I'm there in the Rocky Mountains, uh, you know. But I, I travel all over the country, you know, doing this kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, and everyone else does too. Stan's traveling around the world, Case traveling around the country, you know. Alex, tra- you know, yeah, we're, man. we're trying to take that kind of global I, I view. Don't, I don't, I don't apologize for my bias. I just, I'm just owning it. Okay, cool, Um cool. The uh,
1: brass really listen. So the Taras Bulba, I think at this point is a cult beer. Um, a lot of people know that beer, and will Whisper about it reverently and so on. It's a, a really light, hoppy, gorgeous pale ale. Uh, one of my favorite beers in the whole wide world. But uh, but their beer that I got fixed on this past year that I never was fixed on before, even though I used to live in Brussels, uh, is the Jam de Bois, their triple. I never used to have time for triples. They were too strong. I kind of wanted to have more of a session type beer. But then I think as I've gotten older, I appreciate maybe that little more alcoholic kick and the just big, burst of noble hops in there combined with that strength and just enough malt sweetness i just love that beer and i know a handful of places in brussels where i can get it on draft And i'm not telling you i'm not telling you where it is no no those are for me not the brewery itself uh, they'll <laughs> tell you they'll probably tell you
0: all right all right fair enough are there any other highlights that you want to talk about here
1: yeah i had such a great time in denver a couple of weeks ago it was actually my first time in denver like i said i've been away um but the um so many great places to go I don't
0: I take it for granted because I live an hour and away and I'm there all the time but uh, you know it's always interesting to hear it from someone else's perspective
1: yeah I mean it's sort of like oh yeah it's totally worth the hype you know it's it's when you when you have that experience it's it's pretty cool uh but the beer that I enjoyed the most there which is certainly one of the, mo- the beers I enjoyed most for the whole past year was uh at the Hogshead Brewery that specializes in Cascale and then Gilpin Black Gold at London Porter was so nice like creamy texture on it nice rich malt to it The little bit of roast and and just i really enjoyed every single gulp of that beer that pine when i was sitting there and uh, that was i was just thoroughly enjoyable that would be definitely one of my top beers of the year
0: if you chatted up with steven uh you know the owner you'd love it even more he's a character and i will have to talk to him sometime soon here on the podcast because uh, he's absolutely hilarious and highly opinionated all right my, my kind of dude <laughs> exactly all right exactly uh all right it's time it's time to jump into the piece de resistance hey that was good
1: <laughs> that was better was,
0: was that good was yeah that good? You, can you give it to me in your proper french pronunciation
1: the best 19 beers of
0: 2019 So to pick these, you know, the place we start uh, for this list is with our top scoring beers of the year, you know, throughout the year in the magazine, which, of course, you read because, of course, you subscribe to Craft Beer and Brewing magazine. And if you don't, you've already gone to beerandbrewing.com. And you've clicked on the subscribe button to subscribe. You will see uh, because you know if you are a subscriber, you also have full access to all the back issues uh, from the start of the magazine, all available digitally to you on the apps and through uh, through the website. Uh, but I digress. You will see that you know of course we review uh, beers in specific styles uh, in every issue of the magazine, and we try to go deep and we do all of our our uh, tasting with a blind panel of BJCP certified judges uh, here for actually BJCP certified or certified cicerone and certified cicerone uh you know judges uh, judges who have gone through some training and some testing to make sure that they're uh, they understand beer and they know what they're tasting uh, we hold those Sampa uh, those tasting sessions uh, again they are done blind the brewer uh, uh, reviewers do not know what they're tasting and those uh, take place both in denver and in fort collins colorado uh, and so we move through that and we score beers that way the only beers you see with scores in our magazine have always have been tasted blind and have been scored that way by these judges um, and so we pick among you know we take a look at some of those highest scores and most notable scores and those uh you know that you know is one criteria for inclusion on this list we uh you know also because uh you know due to timing and the way that things work out you know it's not always possible for brewers to send us uh, what beers that we should consider at the specific times that we're bre- uh, reviewing those things for the magazine and so we also put out a review call before this best in beer issue and brewers send us uh, more beers this time around they sent us i think we received over 500 beers uh submitted for this issue uh, for the best in beer issue is kind of a a cleanup for stuff we hadn't considered earlier in the year. You know, in addition to that we taste beers in in the kind of places and spaces that don't lend themselves to kind of blind reviews. Uh, We don't want to knock those beers out of contention. They are just as a different standard for, uh, you know, for trying to consider and include those. Uh, Anyway, well, we, uh, Joe and I, uh, you know, and uh, all the folks at Craft Beer and Brewing put our, our heads together and talk about uh, those beers that have been Im- impactful for us, those beers that have scored high, those beers that have, uh, you know, really speak to a zeitgeist, uh, you know, for the year of 2019 in some way or another. And uh, we've put together what we consider, uh, you know, a list of our top beers of 2019. And so to that end, Let's talk about these top 19 beers, Joe. Yeah, let's talk about them. Why don't you talk? Uh, why don't you start it off? Since I've been talking a lot uh, with one that you have written about in this new Best and Beer issue and done an extensive profile of well this this is a beer that
1: um when i have a, I have a handful of friends that when they find out about this they're gonna laugh because they know how I feel about this beer i would I would marry this beer um but it's that's not why it's here it's um I mean that didn't hurt but but the um, you talked to a, a brewmaster like Matt Brittleson or Yvonne de Betz, and Yvonne said this is for him the best Pilsner in the world. We're talking about the Shunrama pills uh, out of Shunram. Bavaria in Germany um, the brewer the brewmaster there Eric toft originally from Wyoming but wears later five days a week and speaks fluent Bavarian dialect um, we, we do have a big feature package on him a big feature article on him in this article in, the, in this uh, issue um, it's not this is not just a pills um, it is a pills that is packed with juicy tetanang or flavor and it is on the rather bitter end of the spectrum for a German Pilsner. Um, and for me, it was kind of my daily bread for a long time when I was living in Germany. So, um, I'm very familiar with the beer and, um, it is just, it's one of those things where it's got so much character and yet it doesn't demand anything of you. You can sit there and have another and another while talking and talking and, and, um, it doesn't intrude. It doesn't, you know, it's just, um, Anyway, the, the Schoenraumer Pills is one of
0: our best 19 beers of the year. You know, it's interesting because Schoenraumer was uh, mentioned to me when I was out in uh, uh, Windsor, California earlier this year recording podcast uh, and uh, going to visit uh, Vinny and Natalie Chlerzo at Russian River Brewing. And uh, Vinny mentioned to me that uh, it was his visit to Schoenraumer and, and spending some time with Eric down there that... Uh, Inspired him to install open fermenters at the new brewery in Windsor, California. Yeah, and so uh, seeing the sphere of influence that uh, Eric Toft has had on some of the world's best brewers, you know, it's uh, it's well deserved, and it's uh, you know, that's there's a, it's a certain credit to him and the talent and skill that he's applied to this.
1: I think we should say it's not widely distributed in the U.S. Um, it, it there's no reason it couldn't be um, more long term. Um, if you I, live
0: out on the West coast, it's more readily available. You yeah. Know, there is an American importer and, uh, you know, it is, it is possible for the, you know, for folks that would like to get it. And they, yeah. they more of it should be brought to the United At, States. Although, you know, that's not like they have a whole ton of yeah. beer, more to ship over. Ask here.
1: your best shops
0: and, and maybe they can get it if they don't have it already. I, I just botched my, uh, natural segue to the next beer on our top beers of 2019. <laughs> Did I botch your segue? I, no, I, I okay. botched it. I, I'm going to own that one. Right. It's, uh, uh, no, when I, w- I was just mentioning, uh, you know, Russian river that, uh, visit out there to Russian river, uh, in that moment, uh, you know, in fact, I think people could probably listen to it on the podcast. If you rewind and go back and listen to, you know, to that episode, I think it's episode uh, 85 or 80, 85 or 86 of the podcast, uh, where, you know, uh, Vinny shared a certain beer with me and that was, uh. Russian River Intinction Sauvignon Blanc, which is also among our uh, top 19 beers of 2019. This beer really. Caught me in a very specific way. We've definitely been following the wine wine beer you know hybrid trend. Uh, we wrote about it in last year's best in beer issue. Uh, we've been following this, and I've had fantastic beers made like this. You know, from everyone from Jester King to Rare Barrel uh, to you know Trillium and others. You know, lots and lots of folks making really interesting, really clever, you know, smart, well designed. Beers that kind of span that, uh, you know, that kind of beer, wine, uh, you know, space. This beer, you know, Sauvignon, uh, Int- Intinction Sauvignon Blanc, occupies a special space. You know, it's very possible with these wine grape beers to go overboard you know wine grapes uh, produce a lot of alcohol they have they can have very strong flavors and those flavors can you know turn everything into a non-beer direction Uh, this uh, intinction sauvignon blanc has a very soft acidity Uh, the fermentation was so beautifully controlled the wine grape was uh, nuanced subtle acidity was very uh, tightly considered and well placed within the beer without overwhelming it Uh, on that note uh, you know if you are a sour beer consumer, uh, you know, this is the kind of nuance and subtlety uh, in an American sour beer that we should be striving for. Um, there is a lot of American sour beer out there, and a lot of consumers that demand American sour beer that is far too acidic, that is far too heavy handed, that is far too, uh, you know, ham fisted in the way that it kind of approaches acidity for acidity's sake and does not necessarily uh, celebrate the kind of delicate and nuanced balance, you know, that a beer like Intinction Sauvignon Blanc does. And so I hope that more people. You know, and more burrs and more beer fans uh, see the beauty in these kinds of nuanced beers and strive, you know, to make them more like this.
1: I drank this beer while we were working on finishing this magazine, uh, sitting in my office, and and I think I swiped a bottle from from the office while I was visiting, or but. Uh, the, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, I know this isn't the grape that's involved here, but I'm a big Riesling fan. And I like Alsatian Riesling and I like the drier ones with that acidity. And so uh, a beer that that brings out that acidity even more and along the way doesn't put a foot wrong anywhere. And it finishes dry enough that you want a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's uh, so rare to find something like that. And I've thoroughly enjoyed it and found no reason to write arguments to about why it should not be in the best 19 beers of the year
0: you know there's something to be said for being right there you know in the middle of wine country in northern california and having access to some of the best grapes having access to some of the best grape processors um you know and so great raw materials help make great beer but there is also a brewers and blenders art to making sure that all of these things occur as they should, and that the end product is, you know achieves that kind of ideal that they're searching for, uh, and so this beer does it all. Next beer on our list, we're going to go completely in the other direction from soft and nuance. Uh, Lawson's finest triple sunshine. This is a beer that our blind panel I, you know, pushed onto this list because it scored a ninety-nine. For whatever reason, you know, I, I have this mental idea that I like smaller beers because they're more drinkable. I can drink more of them. Makes more sense. You know who. Drinks these big things. And yet, at the same time, every time I drink some of these triple IPAs, I absolutely love them.
1: I I find a lot of times the double and triple IPAs to me are more drinkable than the regular IPAs or the hazy IPAs because there's more malt in there and it's often more balanced.
0: I, I get it. And so, you know, even though I have this mental idea of what I like and what I think I like, every time I drink these, I uh, you know, just I am completely shocked at how well it works. This beer and there are others like it are pushing a new identify a new ID, and a new vision for West Coast IPA. Where bitterness is down, we're talking about more late hops uh, additions in these beers. We're pushing some fruit flavor up. They've still got a strong malt component. They've still got a strong bitterness component. Definitely a little bit, you know, uh, you know, a little bit more, you know, strong on that kind of citrus and tropical element too. And it just makes. For a more pleasant beer that still finishes dry, even though it's this big. Um, And they just become fantastic experiences. We're gonna stay on the uh, you know uh, blind panel IPA tip for a minute here. The next beer on this top 19 is uh, from a very small brewery out in Wilmington, North Carolina, called New Anthem. And the beers that uh, that made this list in this spot were their songs unsung and Steeze IPAs. Uh, it's a twofer. Uh, you know I love cheating on this list all the time, and you'll know. <laughs> so it's really like the best 23 ish. Okay. You know, you know, we'll give that one spot. But yeah, I, here's the thing, though. Like, you know, when a brewery is making a whole bunch of beers that may only show up once, and they may only make it once. Like, you know, is is does it make sense to only mention that beer? No, I, it's I a mean, good
1: point. Yeah, the point is to look for the next beer like these two, right. Right. Gotcha.
0: And so, you know, this was a funny one when I put it in front of our blind panel. You know, I didn't know what to think. Uh, you know, again, it's a small brewery. We'd had some beer from them before it had uh, gotten oxidized in, in shipping. And and, you know, I could tell when I tasted it like this wasn't the way they intended it to taste this, you know, this prior shipment. So this one came in and I had this idea like, oh, I hope this one's better than the last packs. But, uh, you know, I didn't know it's going to taste. We put it in front of the blind panel. And I made sure to align it so we had, uh, uh, you know, uh, two portions of the panel, you know, each were drinking a, a new anthem beer, but a different one. And it came through it, and you just see it on the faces of our of our blind judges, like they just lit up. And, you know, and this is in the middle of a, a long flight of IPAs, which, to be honest, if you've ever judged IPAs in any kind of competition, it is a pain in the ass. I mean, it is a literal... I mean, you are slogging through it and try to keep your palate in some sort of shape to be able to differentiate between these beers, especially as you get deeper into it. So, you know, here you are in the middle of a panel and uh, these beers just lit up the room on both sides. And it was an amazing thing to watch uh, amongst other great beers in the same flight. Very high scoring, fantastic beers. They just head and shoulders standouts. I love nothing more than being blown away, having my expectations crushed by something where I thought it was going to be okay, and it just, you know, just just blows me away. Um, there was nothing more fun than to have to eat crow about that and to admit, hey, I was completely wrong in my, you know, my misplaced expectation about this, and so kudos to new anthem for being able to make a beer where the quality of ingredients is conveyed the process uh, you know was extremely tight and the the beers themselves were big and bold and strong and bright and just expresses hops character with such a, a beautiful clarity despite their haze There you go. And then, uh, the next on the list is another IPA. Uh, this one is parish brewing ghost in the machine from Broussard, Louisiana. That brewery has blown up and, uh, have been on a skyrocketing trajectory. And this beer is one of the reasons that they've done it. It's a fantastically well-made hazy IPA, spicy lemongrass undertone, bold cantaloupe and peach on the nose. And they've been able to do this and scale this in a, in a way where they've maintained that kind of quality to the beer. And so, uh, uh, i've been thrilled by it and it's uh it's fantastic to have them in our top 19.
1: i think it's it's uh it's odd that we have three we i think it actually is odd that we have three ipas in a row here because we actually i think the 19 we have quite a diverse type like a quite a diverse list of different kinds of beer believe it or not but they just happen to be grouped here together and they do and, and they and through merit obviously and uh, so yeah it's not it's not going to be uh 14
0: more no IPAs. no no yeah. it's not 14 more ipas in fact the very next beer uh, goes completely in the other direction
1: yeah so out of kansas city missouri the kc beer Hellas, a Hellas, made the top 19 of the year and this was something that i, I so it's not this is not a widely distributed beer uh, they did send bottles to the office um i didn't know that i was hanging out at the lake in southwest Missouri and it was available and I was drinking a lot of it. First I was reaching for the pills but I also grabbed the Hellas and then I found when I went back I thought I would go for the pills. I was like no, I want more of that Hellas and then I want a little more of that Hellas and then I kept drinking the Hellas. A few weeks ago in the office we did a little blind tasting with some of the top um, pale lagers and Hellas and things and this was my favorite blind and I didn't know what it was. And, uh, I think that, um, that what they're doing in Kansas city at KC beer, they are, they're doing decoction brewing. They're doing, uh, uh, natural carbonation. They're doing, um, spunding and all they're, they're, they're doing it as traditionally as possible. Uh, it's, very convincing traditional German beer maybe they're not breaking new ground in that way but there definitely seems to be a thirst for that kind of thing in different places their uh, their Dunkel is doing very well in Kansas City and in and, and that half of Missouri um, so it's um, I think this is a this is we're going to see this brewery get bigger and go places
0: we've we've received a lot of beer from them over the course of the last year or two uh everything has been spot on you know fantastic renditions you know and i think that kind of you know consistency and quality also uh weighs in on what on how you know we make some decisions around these uh when we have a brewery has one standout a phenomenal standout beer but then you know, we have some beers that maybe not as strong as those. Then that can, you know, can affect our overall perception of a brewery and whether you know we make that kind of selection for this kind of list. Uh, everything the Casey Beer has sent to us has been phenomenally well executed. You know, beautiful beer, and uh, yeah, there you go. You got a Hellas on the list, Joe.
1: I think it's interesting that their their Dunkel is selling like crazy in Kansas City. It's their it's the they, the beer that built their brewery. Uh, but the best seller by far at their beer garden is the Hellas. Makes sense. Yeah.
0: Next beer on the list, again, completely back in the other direction again. Other half, HDHC, all green, everything. Here we go with triple IPAs again. <sighs> I, again, I don't know how to explain it other than to say that I drank a lot of of other half triple IPAs, I didn't intend to drink a lot of other half triple IPAs this year, um, but part of it, you know, came down to uh, you know I somehow bought some you know four packs of of some beers and they just happened to be triple IPAs, but they sat in my fridge for a long time, and I found that these beers, even though they are quote unquote hazy IPAs and fragile, and you got to drink them fresh and blah 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 blah, I could drink these beers three and four months later, and they still tasted great you know, there's something about the centrifuge and production process and tight, low oxygen environment that they're, they're brewing these beers in, in order to maintain that kind of longevity, um, that really should be celebrated. And so a beer like this was big and bright and, uh, you know, specifically all green, everything there are other beers from them that are more highly rated by beer nerds. Uh, and that's okay. But this beer in particular, uh, you know, was not just a sweet citrus bomb, you know, it was a well nuanced, um, you know, through Really kind of, you know, had weird rough edges to it, uh, you know, in terms of some kind of funky green fruits and, you know, some kind of, you know, weird and big diesel notes, which I, you know, like a little sweatiness, which I find fascinating and I love in some of these IPAs because, you know, again, it gives it layers of complexity and other kinds of flavors to latch onto. And, uh, you know, of course, they've created a new acronym for this, you know, HDHC, which describes some process where they're using cryo hops uh, you know more advanced hops products as well as well, we don't uh, as have enough acronyms we need more acronyms really we, we, the beer world definitely needs more acronyms mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so for the acronym alone there you go other half in our top 19 of 2019. Uh, No, fantastic beer, fantastic brewery, and uh, one that uh, is engaging in in very highly technical processes and doesn't get enough credit for, you know, the care and focus that they're putting into making sure that these beers are also technically uh, capable as well as, you know, creatively fulfilling. Next on the list, modern times. And uh, as I kind of as I tried to dig into this, um, you know, I looked back at uh, those modern times stouts that I've had, and I think I had at least seven or eight modern times barrel aged different modern times barrel aged stouts over the past year. Uh and I think I'd list some of them here in the review, which we'll have to read by subscribing to Craft Beer and Brewing magazine at beerandbrewing.com. Um, but this is another case where they, you know, these beers become ones and duns. They you know, they they release a special release, they don't make it the next year. Again, you know, lifting one beer up at the expense of the others just seems to not really celebrate the overall quality of the entire program. And with these barrel-aged stouts, every single beer, every single barrel-aged beer I've had for them, and I mean you could add, you know, clean non-barrel-aged beers into that too, have been excellently executed, um, you know, beautifully constructed, just, uh, you know, so thorough and thoughtful. In the, the way that the flavors are added into the beers, the way that the barrel, you know, the base beers are complementing the barrel character, the way those adjuncts are selected. And, you know, and I think the other big thing, which has been a big one for me this year, is despite adjunct Latin beers with lots and lots of culinary flavors in them, they never lose sight of the beer. There's still a strong, roasty base to these beers. There, even though there might be an intense, you know, sweetness in some of these adjuncted stouts, there is still a nice, solid, firm bitterness throughout the beer that kind of helps bring that sweetness back down you know that allows you that pleasure but also kind of adds a a, you know a, a little bit of honesty to it at the same time and so you'll find in all of the these beers that i really find to be the best in their class they have this kind of they may be sweet they may be you know uh high finishing gravity beers you know but if they've got those other elements whether that's some hops bitterness or whether that is you know a nice solid roast bitterness something to kind of clean those beers so they're not just giant cloying messes you know that is a huge differentiator You know, and the scale of quality on these kinds of things. To me, you know, these beers that are too sweet without that just taste flat. You know, they just taste like this big pancake that just kind of spreads over with no real definition to it. There's no character, there's no like contrast, you know? And uh, I think that's where the real fun and excitement comes out of these kinds of beers. It has to have that contrast. Modern times barrel aged stouts do. And uh, for that, they are in our top 19.
1: Um, so the next one on the list is uh, Beechwood Funk Yeah, and Cool Ship Chaos. No, again, it's a twofer.
0: It is. Okay. You know why? Both of those scored 100 with our blind panel in our issue where we covered Wood Age Sour beers earlier this year.
1: Well, I don't need to hear the 100 because I heard my man Carl Kins, the Belgian beer judge, Belgian beer critic, rave about the Beechwood Sours, and I've never heard... Carl Kin's rave about an American brewed, Belgian style, or sour beer before. And so when he was saying that, I knew that there was on to something. Unfortunately, it was too late for me to go over to the booth at GABF and get some for myself, uh, but it's definitely on my list. And... I, it's got the Carl Kin seal of approval. So um, and he, he and I are tough on this kind of thing. So I'm, I'm and the blind panel. I mean, okay. Yeah, sure.
0: Uh, you can listen if you really want to know more about how, you know, Beachwood goes about their sour beer process. You can listen to the episode of the podcast that I did with Harrison McCabe, the head of their barrel program uh, a few episodes ago. Uh, none, you know, needless to say, these beers uh, capture that kind of, uh, traditional Belgian sour beer taste. They do it in a different way that still has a personality that's all their own and they do it in a environment in Southern California where one should not necessarily be able to make spontaneous beer. And yet they control a lot of environmental factors in order to do that. Uh, and they have very thoughtfully and carefully considered their programs so that their cultures produce the kinds of flavors that they're looking for. It's very cool. The beers are different, uh, uh, delicious example of what that kind of thoughtful approach to making American sour beer can be, especially again, as you control acidity and, uh, you know, are focusing on, uh, the overall gestalt of all of these elements, the, uh, you know, funk and the Brett, um, the acidity and, uh, you know, the kind of other flavor notes, the kind of fruity Brett character that can also go along with some of these other, you know, and and build these kinds of layers of fun to, uh, to these American wild and sour beers.
1: Next beer on the list, Joe. That'd be, uh, so I was, I was surprised by this and, and, and I shouldn't be surprised by this. Uh, the, um, it comes from one of the oldest breweries in the world. Depends how you count these things, um, and depends how much you buy into their whole mythology. But the Weinstefaner Stefaner Corbinian is their Doppelbach. and I think people are more familiar with the uh, with their hefeweizen beer, their their Hefeweiz and their their wheat beer, which is absolutely like in, you know world class, tip top. It's a perfect beer. Uh, maybe uh, to uh, that. But everything that they do is basically perfect. Uh, the Hellas, their pills is fantastic, um, and so go you know go figure. Their Doppelbach is also basically perfect. And so the reason this is on the list, it's not because I've been living in Germany for five years and I'm saying hey let's get this cool Doppelbach on here. No, it wasn't me that put this list on this list. It was the it was the blind panel yeah, doing yeah. the Doppelbach tasting, and they and they gave this thing a really high score because it is a great beer it was the tops tops in its category uh, and it, it it is um i think even in germany it's hard to find a doppelbach this good um where it just it, it, it packs so much malt character in there um and yet it's 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 just bitter enough to hold it all together um and but it finishes so softly and easily and it's so dangerously easy to drink uh and it can, you know it packs all that character in there and then you can like have another and another it's got that the, caramel, the 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 that malt has like almost a Tootsie roll type flavor to it uh and it's it's just um but it's not a sweet beer it has sweetness yeah but it's not a sweet beer it is very perfectly balanced it's harmonious it's round Uh, And it's um, it's one to maybe revisit if you get to the bottle shop and you're wanting, you know, want to reach back to the old world for for something really tasty. The Corbinian is there for you. And that's,
0: you know, uh, you think, you know, these beers because you had them years ago, you know, and they may have fallen off your radar because you haven't had them in a few years because they're not the hottest and sexiest and newest kinds of things out there. Uh, You know, but it is amazing. And I love seeing when our blind panel tastes these beers again, not knowing what they are and you know in an objective way without the you know kind of bias of brand uh can taste them and acknowledge why these beers have attained that kind of classic status you know reaffirm that in some kind of sense this is that beer it's it's absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal and everyone should be trying it again
1: after you told me this was going to be on the list from the because of the blind panel scores i went and bought a bottle and brought it home and drank it and it was such a joy
0: it was just like yeah, that is, that's really good. Next on the list is uh, uh, a little more of a new school approach, uh, something that actually caught me way off of guard. Uh, Jester King Modern Dansk. Jester King is no stranger to our, our uh, top beer list. They've appeared on their top 19 before. Certainly you've heard our readers celebrate them in our Reader's Choice Awards. Uh, this beer, I didn't know what to make of it when uh, when they sent it our way. And, you know, but I was familiar with Frédéric Saul, uh, the cherry wine maker in, uh, in Denmark. And so, you know, I, I opened up a bottle and tried it, and. Uh, and it was a beer that I kept going back to, you know, and I didn't know why I kept going back to this beer. Um, you know, and so I had to continue to think about it each time I had it, you know, and there's a depth and a nuttiness to the cherry component in here that, uh, you know, both at the same time felt like a, uh, a, 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 creek. It felt like that kind of deep and rich Northern European, you know, cherry beer, um, in that it still had that full beer character, but there was such an interesting depth to the cherry notes in this that were so compelling that uh you know that i that i continued to go back to it and i i have swear to you I've, I've had at least four bottles of this over the last several months even though i'm not really a fruit beer person you know i i would much more readily drink a non-fruited sour beer um it was that kind of oddly compelling act that just you know drew me magnetically to this beer.
1: Such a cool trend, I think. This this Danish cherry wine influence. I mean, we got we obviously have the the wine beers are kind of growing a little bit, uh, and we have we have cherry beers. We have cherry beers. Have had them for a long time, but this is sort of this, uh, and I think there is some inspiration from Belgian Creek, you know, from from cherry lambic. But this, that sort of drawing out that sour cherry character and, and making it dry enough. and
0: I, I'm- Due to their relationships, this, the, this beer was aged in uh, uh, Frederick Saul uh, used barrels that housed Frederick Saul cherry wine. And so that combination of brewing a beer with uh, the Stems Bar cherries and then aging that in barrels that held the Frederick Saul Cherry wine, uh, just you know, produced and with Jester King's culture, uh, it just did some magical things. It's a beer that everyone should be seeking out and trying if you're into cherry beers, and even if you're not, because uh, I think it holds its own. Whether you think of it as a cherry beer, I, I mean, there are Venice notes in it, there are nutty notes in it. I mean, it is uh, so thoroughly complex uh, to be utterly fascinating. Next beer on the list, off color brewing out of Chicago, Illinois, a beer called Miscellanea Volume Two. When I was up there uh, earlier this year in Chicago, uh, John Laffler uh, shared some of these bottles with me and and sent me home with some uh, and told me the story about them. You know, the story was uh, they've brewed a number of collaborations with a number of breweries and they thought, you know, it might be interesting to uh, push all the various cultures, you know, because when they brew a mixed culture collaboration with another brewery, Take a little bit of their culture, a little bit of the other brewery's culture, put it together, ferment a beer with it, and it's, you know, ostensibly this, this combination of the two cultures which produces this, you know, this other thing, you know, that's somewhere between or or even greater than the sum of those of those parts. Well, they took all of those various cultures, you know, from these various collabs and combined them together into a almost metacultural collab. Uh, which, you know, conceptually again speaking, was such a fun and interesting idea you know this kind of super group of cultures you know uh, built from all of these various breweries you know and that's fun you know an idea itself is great uh, if it doesn't make a good beer then none of that matters you know a good story is one thing but a great beer is another thing and this also produced a great beer What did it taste like? I want to know I, I got a uh, like Kind of a, a Musty jaune uh, uh, nose You know With that kind of like Dried uh, You know Orange peel A little bit of Aspen bark and, You know Aged sherry uh, Some kind of You know Woody Tannic Mid uh, Tones You know It's the other piece of it which i thought is fascinating is like these sour beers are very dry beers because these cultures will eat through everything and yet the beer presents very sweet you know there is a character to it that like suggests to your mind this kind of wide and round fruit character maybe even a little bit of pineapple in there and you know and citrus even though it's that dry and so you know this kind of You know, beer that tastes like something, uh, you know, even though that uh, that kind of sweetness is not there in the beer, it becomes a fascinating thing for me. But it provides those kinds of depth and uh, depths and layers, you know, to explore through a beer. And this one, you can just dig down and keep digging and keep digging. Fascinating. Uh, not just as a as a uh, you know a, a deep math problem that's difficult to solve, but also as a beer uh, that's soft in acidity, that's delicate, nuanced, and balanced—all these buzzwords that we love about sour beer today. Mm-hmm. Um, but made by artful creators that are doing it intentionally. And uh, um, yeah, love them.
1: I think that's a good segue into our next one, actually. For
0: sure. For yeah. Sure. Uh, speaking of artisans going at uh, at this in a in a very you know delicate but also uh, you know smart and intentional way, Crooked Stave. Artisan Beer Project uh, Sour Rosé again our blind panel uh, loved this beer and, and what I found particularly remarkable about this is that uh, Cricket Dave has kind of taken a stance to make this style of beer less precious you know th- that kind of beer that is more accessible uh, to make wood aged sour beer something that doesn't need to be only open to bottle shares with your beer nerd friends but is something that you can drink on a day to day basis and enjoy being canned a canned wood aged sour beer with real fruit, um, you know, just, uh, it, and tasting with that kind of, you know, delicately, uh, you know, uh, nuanced acidity and beautifully expressed fruit character in something that's just eminently drinkable was, uh, was a really, really fun experience. Our, our, our judges rated it highly. and uh, the more that we drank it this year, the more I kept, you know, I, it just kept sticking out as one of those beers that is a special thing and that really deserves note for what they're doing and trying to make that wood-aged sour beer more accessible. You know, they're kind of following that New Belgian model of making lawfully, you know, larger batches and pushing it out there and making sour beer for the people. You know, this one does it also, by kind of capturing that zeitgeist around rose um, and producing something that is beer but with fruit that hits that, you know, that kind of rose with the acidity that, uh, you know, drinkers that want that, you know, are expecting out of it, uh, kind of soft and gentle acidity and a light fruit character, a beautiful color. Um, and they just, you know, they just nail it.
1: And the, and the can really stands out on the shelves. And it, there's a the whole can cocktail culture as well going on. And I think there's overlap there with rose. And I think it's just one of those it, it, not everybody who's walking through the beer aisle intends to buy beer but that might catch their eye and then
0: could you, you can get new fans with that kind of thing not all beer and especially not all sour beer needs to be sold and marketed to the same market of beer geeks this is a sour beer made by uh, authentic intentional creators that is marketed and spe- you know, very cleverly aimed at a different kind of beer drinker uh, You know, and it's awesome to see that You know, there is not one beer drinker in this world. There are lots and lots and lots of different beer drinkers. It's fascinating to go into their tap room and find different kinds of demographics, different kinds of gender groups. Everyone is enjoying these beers and coming at it from different perspectives. And, uh, you know, this is a beer that is for uh, lots and lots of people and not a very narrow, narrow slice of the beer nerd market. I love it. Uh, Next on the list is another top scorer for our blind panel, Foothills Brewing Torch Pilsner out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We got another Pilsner on the list. We do. Is it a trend, Joe? Is this the year the lager breaks?
1: Well, you know, Kraft Pilsner is one of the top five uh,
0: favorite beer styles of our readers, so maybe. It is. It is. I don't know if there's a, a ton that we can actually say about this, but other than you should read the review in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. You should read our write up on this. Uh, it is a beautiful, tight, well constructed. Uh, they call it a, uh, a you know Czech logger. You know, we certainly have our own uh, you know opinions about how people define things like Czech or German, and how those things need to fall.
1: I, I think I think there may be. I'm coming around to this idea that there may be an, an American Czech logger style, where basically the way that an American craft brewery might make a Czech logger is to throw a bunch of sauce hops in it, and not necessarily, of course, not necessarily follow the whole elaborate decoction method and get that that residual sweetness. And 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 the American brewers obviously tend to avoid. Diacetyl as well as much as they can whereas czech brewer can tolerate a bit of that sure, sure. Um, so this is the sort of cleaner thinner crisper there it is yeah <gasps> you got there you uh, but, got there but but, but i mean I, I tasted it in the office and it's you know if i if i was um you know and i, I did get to judge uh german pilsners and, and gabf this year and if i'm sitting there judging a beer like that it's going to do very well because it just hits the right notes it's balanced it's got good flavor it's clean it's a great beer perfectly clean but a nice character to it too you know yeah. that, and that's the piece well, it has, like it has enough hops yeah i mean it was you know that i think that really helps uh, i think I, i'm shocked how many times i see a, a a brewery in the states saying they're making a czech pilsner and then it's got like 12 or 18 ibus like come on man you crank that up past 30 give us some hops i mean czech beer is hoppy give us some hops there especially you, you need a lot of sods if you're gonna make if you want to taste the sods you gotta put a lot of sauce in there
0: Speaking of hops and, and lots of hops, uh, the next one, Pint House Pizza, Double Dry Hopped Green Battles. Out of Austin, Texas, I mean, Pint House, you'll, you have certainly heard of them. They've uh, won every award they could possibly win over the last couple of years, from Alpha King to World Beer Cup to the Great American Beer Festival. Uh, in fact, you know, Green Battles, the non-Double Dry Hopped version of this beer, uh, has in 2018 uh, won uh, uh, in both. American IPA in the World Beer Cup and American IPA at the Great American Beer Festival uh, so us giving it this honor is small compared to that kind of double honor uh, for the World Beer Cup and from uh, you know the Great American Beer Festival uh, but as we tasted this beer we, we understood why you know this is again, like, you know, uh, with Lawson's that we mentioned earlier, this is the evolution of that American West coast style IPA. This is that kind of, uh, you know, lower bitterness, tropical fruit forward East coast, yeah, you know, uh, kind of fruitiness meets West coast, you know, dry and dank, uh, and meets somewhere in the middle. It's not, uh, it's not hazy. It definitely is unfiltered. Uh, you know, it's a cloudy beer, not a hazy beer. Um, you know but the beauty of it is when you taste it it just doesn't you know it it tastes like something else entirely some sort of different category that's somewhere between these kinds of things you know big and strong and dry but also so heavily you know fruit forward um you know that it just that fruit itself kind of gives it a you know a little more you know softness and accessibility um making a beer like this that is so flavorful despite its size uh is remarkable and uh you know joe morfeld and their team at uh, pine house i have just become masters in brewing these kinds of ipas and so uh they've been recognized by it you know for it by uh you know plenty of others uh this is our nod uh they deserve it it's fantastic
1: i think this this is cool that this next one is on here too Uh, and it's um it is uh, um i mean we talked before how it's climbed in the list of people's favorite beer but allagash white out of Portland, Maine, uh, it's become one of those foundational craft beers. It's up there now in the, you know, that handful that people talk about as as a favorite with Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and, and you know, and I, I, I think it's exciting to see a wit beer, a Belgian wit beer, which, by the way, Belgians hardly even drink wit beer anymore. I mean, the Hogarden, of course, is everywhere, but as a style, it's fallen out of fashion in Belgium. But meanwhile, a beer that's, that's very um, reverently brewed, you know, following that, that sort of uh, Pierre Celis style. Um, and and I think fine-tuned nicely over the years as well. It gone from strength to strength. And w- so it's, my take on it is it's a little spicy for what I like, but I love that acidic edge to it, that light acidity that makes it so quenching and drinkable. And I think that's why people keep going back to it. And that's why I'm always happy to drink it if I see it on tap.
0: Our blind panel again this year, uh, you know, rated at 98. It's easy to again think that, uh, you know, we've had these beers in the past. We know what they taste like, and uh, you know, we we uh, we kind of forget how they hit us you know that first time or that time where uh, you know we don't know what we're drinking and it's just a revelation in a glass uh but that is this beer and uh and that's why it has earned its spot right here on the list next up we're gonna shift into some stout territory again sun king shadow proof let me tell you about sun king's barrel aging program uh these guys are crushing it and i don't think that they get enough recognition for just how creative and interesting you know their barrel aging program is it's you know easy enough to build a barrel aging program around you know, the pastry stouts and big sweet things and, you know, make a, a generally soft but high gravity, you know, and a high finishing gravity thing and then just add a whole bunch of, of flavors to it and, and make it a barrel-aged beer. You know, it's hard to, you know, you can cover up a lot of the flaws in a beer that way and, and just make a kind of thing. You know, Sun King has gone a different direction. They've won uh, a number of medals now for their Magpie Muckle, which is a, a wee heavy aged and mead barrels, um, kind of a, a different approach approach and I can't tell you another brewery that makes a beer like that uh which and it's a phenomenal beer in fact that was uh, uh very close to making this list as well um just you know but shadow proof as we drank it uh, uh kind of Embodied this old school meets new school approach that I, th- I found so refreshing you know it was it tasted to me a bit like that kind of old rasputin style you know darker more bitter more more strong more assertive stout um, you know but filtered through this kind of sweeter barrel program and uh, you know the result was refreshingly delicious and and beautifully balanced and so uh uh you know we drank a lot of stouts through this process uh, narrowing these beers down and that one was just an utter standout for me and so there it is on our list
1: i'm i'm really i have to say I'm not and now that I see this on the page, I'm excited, you know, to, to see, uh, these guys on here. And it's, it's, um, I've been writing about these guys since before they got their brewery going. This is out of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, civil life's American Brown Ale is one of our best 19 beers of 2019. Um, and it's something that, um, I don't know, we we were in an Uber last night and we asked the driver, well, we, he actually, he knew where he was going. He's like, we were going to Civil Life. Uh, and he said, oh, that's the best burger in St. Louis. And then he said he hadn't been there in a long time. But it was still like, he, it's there for him. And I know why. It's because you go into bars and restaurants up here and you see the Civil Life brown ale. It's, it's everywhere. And people go to it. It's a go-to beer. And, and I think we have learned why. And, you t- and uh, tell me what you were telling me, tell, every, tell them what you were telling me about, uh, about last year.
0: A few years ago, John Bolton and I, who, you know, John, we're co-founder of Craft Beer and Brewing and, uh, you know, CEO of Unfiltered Media, uh, we, we you know, launched this magazine back in 2014. In 2015, we came out for a convention in the St. Louis area and we'd popped into a side project to the, the side project cellar and and uh, had a beer in there and noticed that they had a, a beer from Civil Life on cask, you know, and they're like, oh, that's that's interesting. I, I love cask. I'd like to seek this out. And so we'd popped, we were, you know, brewery hopping and going around a few different places that night and uh, we went to four hands went to a few other places and you know we ubered over to, to civil life and like okay let's we'll just you know let's go check it out we'll just go have a beer and then we'll you know pop into the next spot uh, and keep our kind of tour going well that was the end of the night we ended up at civil life and it was such a revelation to experience that tap room to sit in there and feel so comfortable to be drinking these beers that were generally all under six percent most
1: know, most under five
0: most under five yeah. right these wonderful flavorful low abv sessionable beers that we could just drink one after another of and not get you know drunk while doing it go back in the you know the back hallway play some darts you know just chill out de-stress and enjoy you know each other's company you know and this kind of you you know just sheer enjoyment where the beer uh is so delicious but not the star of the show. You know, it is, and I think there is value to these beers that don't need to be in the spotlight. These beers that are just so utterly well crafted that they facilitate the rest of your life and they don't, they don't demand that attention and they don't uh you know you just enjoy consuming them and you enjoy the company of people and that beer is such a perfect experience and it never draws you out of that experience
1: we talked we mentioned earlier about about beer stud in denver about how the brewers always have to go there um talk to the brewers around here about where they have to go and they a lot of brewers around here love to go to civil life and, and drink these like perfectly nailed low alcohol classic styles um, why the brown? I have to, it, my my favorite there isn't even the brown. It's the English bitter, which wasn't wasn't on tap when we were there last night. But the what I love about the brown is that hop character to it. Actually, and it somehow mingles with that with the fermentation character, and you get this like. Herbal tobacco, earthy streak to it. That's really interesting. Besides, like this nice round mold. That's never too sweet, and and um, and it, and it finishes dry enough that you can have a pint and another pint, and and it's it's a pleasure.
0: I finished a couple of pints of American Brown among other beers there also <laughs> last night, and you know it never gets old. It never gets old. Uh, you know there are not a lot of brown ales out there in america where i drink it and like i instantly want to drink another one and then another one after that and this is that kind of beer, right that that hops character is beautifully placed kind of yeah there's a sweetness to it and that hops just dries that out Mm -hmm. in the finish makes it you know drinkable sip after sip after sip um you know it's just
1: and you told me this was almost on the list last year and got nudged out And this year, it's been close. It's been
0: a contender, and uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, and it's, you know, these are always difficult decisions, uh, and certainly our experience of it. And I think, you know, at the same time, as the brewery has moved from mobile canning to uh, their own in-house canning, that their packaging program has improved, and I think that has improved. Our experience of that beer when they ship those beers out for us to evaluate, and so I think that could have been the difference this year, and uh, how it just struck us, yeah, you know, you know, because I know what beer it's been. I've tasted it at the brewery before uh, over the years, you know, being able to then share it with others in the office and all being able to agree that this is a thing that should be a thing, you know, that yep. uh, there it is. So we're on to our last beer of the top 19 beers of 2019. And that beer is uh, cerebral brewing Denver, Colorado vanilla rye here be monsters. We've watched this beer develop, uh, the kind of base beer of here be monsters over the years. The first uh, time I had this beer, actually, uh, if I'm telling a story was up at our Astoria brewers retreat out on the coast of Oregon. And I was hanging out with, uh, uh, Andy from great notion and Sean to give me a bottle of the, of, of, uh, yeah, uh, here be monsters, and you know, didn't know what to expect. It was their first, you know, barrel aged uh, release, and so like, hey, you know, I brought this to Andy, and no, Andy knew Sean, and like, okay, let's let's you know, let's try. and We drank it, and and we both sat there, kind of in utter silence, after we opened it, and just looked at each other, like, wow, you know, um, it just kind of you know silenced the room at that point it was such a dramatic and bold you know first four-way into barrel-aged release and then the, you know the next batches came out and the batches after that like they have continued to iterate and improve on you know, from an already incredibly high level uh this beer we got uh you know about a month month and a half ago We were able to kind of dig into this and, you know, in the midst of drinking, you know, and evaluating a lot of these last minute stout entries, which is its own challenge to, you know, to move through uh, a lot of, uh, um, you know, know, tasting panels of of these kinds of stouts, it just became an utter standout. You know, it's the richness of the beer in terms of that layered malt character and that nice sharp roastiness um, that was softened that needed to be there because it was so softened and sweetened by that perception of the incredibly strong vanilla in the beer that savoriness and that herbalness that the vanilla brings to this kind of you know semi-sweet you know semi-sweet to sweet kind of you know kind of beer it was just remarkable And so, uh, you know, of all the vanilla stouts, vanilla barrel aged stouts, you know, we do tend to and I will admit this, I think there is something about barrel aged stouts with vanilla that ends up being more compelling than those with additional adjuncts piled on on top of that. That there is something about that vanilla which heightens the barrel character in a, in a barrel aged beer because it's a flavor that's all, already in that kind of barrel age and the vanilla just kind of brings it out and, and makes it a little more whole um, that makes those beers in particular feel so elegant. And so refined um and so sophisticated and yet so satisfying you know and rich when they're drinking it's interesting how
1: common vanilla has become as a beer ingredient, yeah, and that's a i never like five years ago, I never thought I would say those words, but it's not just in stouts obviously, but in in uh, milkshake i p a s and things too, and the and whether it's a stout or a milkshake i p a the ones that are done really well use just that light touch of it to wear you don't necessarily taste vanilla you shouldn't i think i don't i don't really care for it when i when i do taste it but it stokes something deep in our subconscious those nice childhood flavors of vanilla ice cream and and uh and desserts in general and things baking in the oven and just like it hits something that makes signals to your brain this thing and i'm holding my hand is comforting and um
0: and it's nothing like you know layers and layers of heavy malt to really sure, you sure, know, sure. bring that home. Well, that is our top 19 beers of 2019 from craft beer and brewing magazine it's an exhaustive list thank you for pushing through this uh very long podcast and uh and working through our best beers of the year as selected both by our readers and our critics and uh our editors right here if you've enjoyed this episode like i have said before go to beerandbrewing.com click on that subscribe button and become a supporter of the magazine uh become a reader it's kind of like a Patreon, we'll we'll keep sending you issues every every two months, uh, and you can read more writing from Joe. You can read more writing from me. You can read some great perspectives uh, from some of America's top brewers as they share their techniques as well as some recipes and some uh, you know fantastic uh, you know perspectives on how they brew beer. I also want to thank our sponsors. You know, uh, G and Chillers is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. Devore makes it possible to access and discover the highest rated craft beers from all over the world world hop steiner is a vertically integrated global hop supplier dedicated to delivering the finest hops and clarion lubricants is the expert that experts trust we'll be back next week with another new episode thanks for joining me on the podcast joe
1: hey it was a pleasure it was really fun uh
0: and uh yeah until next week cheers cheers